0: Also, Homes.com Collaboration Tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive,
1: center field, hit the wall, grand slam! This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam.
0: Well, hello there and welcome to Fantasy Baseball today. On Tuesday, October 27th, he is Scott White. I am Frank Sample and there's a lot going on in the world. We already knew that, but specifically for... the the purposes of this show the world series has been insane halloween is coming up and i've had some big movie weekends the past few weeks scott you interested are you interested in hearing about this? oh
1: i i'm interested sure let's let's see what let's see what you've finally gotten around to seeing all
0: right so i'm not sure anybody else cares but maybe they do i watched both the first and the second matrix movie Okay. All right. I mean, the first
1: ones are the only one that's really worth it, but
0: well, that's what it, everyone it, said too. But I, I feel like after you watch the first one, you kind of have to watch the next two just to know how it ends, right?
1: I yeah. Guess. No. 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 no I mean, one. I'd say the same for Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. I don't feel like I don't feel like every movie that was made into a trilogy. Uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you you, you, you should just quit while you're ahead, and yeah. and Matrix is a perfect example of that but that's fine that's fine okay well at least you saw the first one now now yeah the first one was very good
0: some of the action didn't really age well but okay i'm watching a movie here's the
1: thing that you have to remember frank is is you know the action sequence with the 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 slow motion bullets and uh, and you know the dodging of the bullets that that became so mimicked thereafter that now it seems trite but it didn't at the time
0: i know I have, you to, have give, to put uh,
1: yourself in the spot when it came out. It came out in
0: 1999.
1: So I understand like that was
0: an iconic scene, but I'm just like, all right, the, you know, they're going through this hallway. They're dodging all these bullets. Eh, doesn't really seem believable, but it's fine. I think, I thought the context of the movie was still really damn good. Um, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, the second one was very confusing, so now I got to watch the third one to see how it ends, of course. Uh, and, and I also watched The Lost Boys. Scott, are you a big fan of uh, Halloween movies or vampire movies, for that matter?
1: I I can't say that I am. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I know what that movie is, to be mm. honest. So maybe maybe now people are going to get on me. I don't know.
0: Okay, Lost Boys. Well, if anyone's listening to this and you're a big fan of Lost Boys, then you get it, Scott, and you yell at him even though I just watched it this past weekend for the first but time. It's the lost boys, the lost boys. Yeah. It's a okay. famous vampire movie from, I want to say the early nineties. So we're not average? talking
1: about Peter Pan's posse. No no, about no, 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 something else. No. Okay.
0: But my brother was getting on my case for years. He's like top three vampire movie. You got to watch it. He's, big on vampires. So I, it was pretty good.
1: It was, it was fine. Three movie. Vampire movie. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a big vampire That is a, guy. Sh- that
0: is a subgenre right there. <laughs> of course it is. So I wanted to catch you up and let you know where I was movie-wise. Uh, but hopefully these next couple of weekends. It's getting cold here in New York. So stay inside a little bit and uh, catch up on some movies. So I got that going on. I mentioned Halloween is coming up this week. Scott, you a big Halloween guy? Got a costume?
1: I do have a costume this year actually for the <laughs> entertainment of my children. It, it's going to be the first time I've dressed up for Halloween since I was probably like 14 years old. I'm not a big Halloween guy. I have nothing against Halloween. I just, you know, I, I don't, I, I've never cared for the indignity of dressing up and obviously um, you know, obviously candy hasn't been, hasn't been a, 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 something that's, Inspired me to do it since I was very young, and uh, you know it's fine. It's fine. I, I think I called it a few weeks back on the show. I called it a second tier holiday, and I'll I'll stick with that.
0: Oh man, that's
1: I, I'm okay with it. But I I, second I think tier. it's a little weird how into it some people get. No, yeah, some people are into it for sure.
0: I you know I really like what it represents. At least in the Northeast, it's like the time of year where the the weather is cooling off, and uh, there's just something about it. The decorations. Uh, my family and I have always like decorated the house and stuff, so we we do go pretty uh pretty all out for Halloween. I would say should we yeah. should we do our next podcast in our Halloween costumes? Are we allowed? To um,
1: do that? if if I can throw it together that quick, I mean my, mom, my wife's kind of putting it together, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't want to spring that on her and then it not come through. But but basically, I, I'm Bob from Puppy Dog Pals.
0: Okay. <laughs> I got to hit yeah. the Google machine. No, you're not, you're not
1: going to get that reference. But Bob, <laughs> I have no idea. He, he, he is the, the owner of Bingo and Rolly, the Puppy Dog Pals. It, it is the best cartoon that my children watch. And um,
0: I have no yeah, idea what this I'm is. Bob. But I don't have kids, so I, I think that kind of makes sense. Sure.
1: I have a niece.
0: She watches a lot of uh, like the Trolls movies and stuff like that. And I don't know. Peppa Pig. That's something that she watches too, but okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, this could be interesting if you actually dress up like this. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk <laughs> off there. I'm not dyeing we'll, my hair red or anything. We'll figure, so. we'll figure out if we can make this happen or not. Scott, I mentioned that the uh, the World Series has been pretty crazy to this point. When we were recording this on Monday night, the Dodgers are up 3-2. to two. Randy Rosarena scores on a botched relay at the end of game four that had everyone talking. It was just like a wild play. And the only way that I could think about that Scott is like when you draft a player you really don't want to and then it turns out being great like it was just a bad decision all around for a Rosarerena to be that aggressive in a round third base the way he did he falls down on the ground gets up still scores anyway it's like you know this isn't gonna work out drafting this player but when it actually does it feels pretty damn good
1: yeah I'm, I'm sure that's happened to me before I'm can't think of an example off the top of my head. We were sure making funny. We
0: were making fun of you for drafting Hyunjin Ryu in one of our leagues, like really
1: early, and then he was awesome. Well, that's on you guys. I wasn't making <laughs> fun of myself for that. Come I on, think, I think you did. I think even you did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. But was he wrong for Aerose Arena? Was he? I mean, he fell down obviously, so he would have been out because he fell down. I watched that play if a he few times. Fall, if you haven't. If he didn't fall down, would he have been out?
0: I I think he would have been out. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, just watching it, like, I feel like he would have. But Will Smith dropped the ball, of course. And, yeah. I don't know. But it uh, it was crazy. The whole World Series, the whole postseason has been just crazy and wild and fantastic. And a lot of fun, which we could really use for the sport of baseball. But, today on the show, we are doing part one of our early starting pitcher preview for 2021. And of course we'll have part two later on in the week with a special guest. Hopefully, hopefully that happens. Um, but you know, Scott, let's just jump right in. And I think like the outfield position, there's a very clear top three here at starting pitcher. And I don't like, I feel like you can ask different people to have different combinations of all right, who do they have first, second, third, and they'll have different reasonings for it. But, those three are Degrom, Garrett Cole, and Shane Bieber. So, how do you have those three ranked, and why do you have whoever you have number one at number one?
1: Okay, yep, they're the three. They in all in my mind, they're all first rounders, regardless of format. Uh, I have I order them Bieber, Degrom, and Cole. I do think Degrom is the most. In, in terms of pure talent, he's number one. I think he showed that this year with swinging strike rate. Second place in swinging strike rate was Lucas Giolito with 17.3. So I'm just I'm just laying out the context for the number I'm going to give you for DeGrom. Second place this year, Giolito, 17.3%. The leader last year was Garrett Cole, 16.8%. Jacob DeGrom this year was 21.6%. Just blew everybody out of the water with a... Completely unbelievable number. And I mean, that, that, I mean he keeps getting better. He was throwing harder with his fastball. He he's just he's really good. Shane Bieber actually had the better strikeout rate, strikeout per nine innings. He was over 14. Uh, DeGrom was just under 14. So what it translated to with that statistic, I mean, it didn't make a big difference there. But really the main reason Shane Bieber stands out from DeGrom, the reason why I rank him ahead, is how deep he pitches into games, how efficient he is. This year, um, number of starts going, going seven innings or more. Bieber had five. DeGrom had three. And if you go six innings or more, Bieber had two more than Degrom as well. One of my favorite stats from last season—if um, I could look it up real quick—the number of times pitchers, certain pitchers, went uh, went more than seven innings. Shane Bieber had ten. Times last year, more than seven innings. Shane Bieber had ten, Max Scherzer five, Justin Verlander four, Garrett Cole three, Jacob Degrom two. So this is two years in a row where he's really stood out with that in that measurement, and he's such a good strike thrower that it's understandable why. Uh, but Cleveland lets him do it. That's the other thing, and and with that, I mean, obviously there are some direct benefits. going deep into games, but an indirect benefit that is particularly relevant in DeGrom's case is it's really hard for Shane Bieber if he pitches well, if he pitches like he's been pitching the last two years, it's really hard for him to have a bad win-loss record if he's going that deep that consistently. And on the other hand, DeGrom, three years in a row, very disappointing win-loss record for as well as he's pitched. And, I, you know, the Mets have given other pitchers a good win-loss record, so I keep thinking that's going to change one of these years, but it's it, especially compared to Bieber, it's it's hard to just give Degrom that benefit of the doubt. Last three years, Degrom ten and nine, eleven and eight, four and two, and it's so fluky too, right? It's like,
0: we can't predict wins obviously. And you brought up the fact that the Mets' offense has actually been pretty good. I looked this up before the show, and the Mets had an eight oh seven OPS as a team, that was third best in baseball. So their offense is actually pretty good. They actually they now have a owner who seems like he's going to be willing to spend money. Not that I really think that they even need to spend money on offense because again, it, it has been pretty good. So I'm in the belief that eventually one of these years, the fortunes are going to turn around for Jacob de Gram uh, I would have him as the SP one, ahead of Shane Bieber. And it's just because he's done it for longer. Uh, He has been the most consistent starting pitcher since the beginning of the 2018 season. A 2.10 ERA, first among all qualified starting pitchers. 628 strikeouts since 2018. And a 0.94 whip, which is second among all starting pitchers throughout that time. Um, I, I would say the one drawback for DeGrom outside of the wins, which you can't predict, is the fact that He is turning 33 years old next season, and he has dealt with a few of these nagging injuries. So I guess, you know, if you want to make the case against Jacob deGrom, that's probably it. And what I would say for Shane Bieber, Scott, is he was ridiculous in 2020. Just, I mean, we're talking double-digit strikeouts in eight of his 12 starts. Just completely revamped his arsenal, uh, used his fastball less, curveball more. Cutter has like five different pitches that he uses. Fastball velocity was up as well. Bieber was awesome. He also had a cakewalk schedule. So I don't know how much we factor factored that in because he legitimately only faced the Royals, the Twins, who were a little bit more average this year than where they've been in the past couple of seasons. The Reds, White Sox, Tigers, Pirates, and Brewers. So that would probably be my case against, but it's not really a good one. I think it's 1A for me, DeGrom, and 1B, Shane Bieber. And then I think Garrett Cole, at least for me, is clearly behind both of those, although I've heard people make the argument that Garrett Cole should still be number one, which I don't really get.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I mean, that's... I, I don't know, did you do the trick where you looked at last 162 games? I guess that's that's a little harder for starting pitchers because you can't. Yeah, so I did last I 162. You have to come up with a number of a, a magical number of starts, like 32 or something. Yeah, I, I, I did
0: 32. Know. Is there okay. is there something you want to know for? Yeah, was
1: does Garrett Cole Garrett Cole come out ahead? I know he was especially good down the stretch in 2019, so I could see that being the case.
0: Oh yeah, he actually he is in terms of let's see, last 32 starts, a 2.08 ERA, 0.86 WHIP. 304 strikeouts, and 207 and two-thirds innings pitched for Garrett Cole. The the ERA was also low twos for DeGrom. It was 2.05, 0.90 whip, uh, 275 strikeouts, and 202 and a third. The only reason why I say Garrett Cole is very clearly third for me, Scott, is because there, there are just things that worry me a tad about him. Since his move to the Yankees and pitching in Yankee Stadium, uh, his 37% hard contact rate in 2020, albeit it was only 12 starts, was the sixth highest among qualified starting pitchers. His average exit velocity went from 87.6 miles per hour in 2019 to 90.9 miles per hour in 2020. And league average is 88. So Garrett Cole did give up harder contact this year, still gives up a lot of fly balls, and he pitches in a smaller ball ballpark than he used to in Yankee Stadium. So I I think he's still very good, and I wouldn't mind using a late first-round pick on him, even a mid-first-round pick if those other guys are gone. But I I think that the other two at this point are safer.
1: I don't think there's much risk with any of them, to be perfectly honest. I mean, Shane Bieber was the one who gave up all the hard contact in 2019, remember, and and it was a lot better for him in 2018. I, I mean, 2020, introducing that cutter to his arsenal, right? Uh, so maybe, maybe Bieber solved that problem completely, or maybe, you know, just in 2018, Garrett Cole's first year with the Astros, his average exit velocity was much closer to 2020 than, than 2019 when it was especially low. Um, and I want to say through the same number of starts in 2019, Garrett Cole had a higher ERA than he had in his first year with the Yankees, the, the shortened 2020 season. So, you know, it, it's not like I, I, I don't know. I, I there's no real reason for concern for Garrett Cole. Obviously he wasn't as dominant in 2020 as he was in 2019, but it was it was in a range of outcomes that I certainly find acceptable and I don't think I, I don't think this is necessarily the new baseline for him either.
0: Yeah, and everything I just said about Garrett Cole was just me splitting hairs for a reason to have him third. I think that the yeah. other two are just a little bit safer than him. And I wouldn't mind using a mid to late first round pick on Garrett Cole. And something that I'm going to be likely to do this season is use my first round pick on a starting pitcher because worry a little bit about this next group, this round two range round three. And I just think that these guys that are going in the first round are, are just extremely safe. This is where the actual debate starts. And really, I mean, everyone's starting pitcher ranks could go haywire. Is once we get to SP four, and for you, Scott, you have you Darvish in this spot. But I really think that you can make the no, case. No, no, no.
1: No, I have Trevor Bauer.
0: You have Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Okay. My bad. You have Trevor Bauer fourth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I even wrote it down that way. I don't know why I said that you have you Darvish fourth. Maybe that's because I want to have you Darvish fourth. <laughs> but you have Trevor Bauer, then Darvish, then Giolito. No, then you have Nola, Gialito. Okay, I'm all over the place. Bauer, Darv- Darvish, Nola, Gialito are your next four through seven, but I really think that you can make the case for any one of those to be the next starting pitcher off the board, Scott.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I I, I mean, Bauer and Darvish were significantly better in 2020 than Nola and Gialito were uh. You know, either you could give the NL Cy Young to either of Bauer or Darvish. I I think it's probably going to go to Bauer, but you know, Darvish's numbers are amazing too. It's just, I feel like they have bigger misses in their track record, right? Of course, Bauer just last year uh, was a big miss, and so. You know, it makes me reluctant to buy into this newer version of them that's better than anything we've ever seen before, especially since it was over a two-month period. But uh, I've always believed in the skill set for both Bauer and Darvish. And when they're that dominant, I, I don't know. I... I just I, I feel like I really couldn't justify ranking them any lower than where I have them here, fourth and fifth in my rankings, even knowing they have kind of a spotty, each of them has kind of a spotty track record.
0: Yeah, actually, I feel pretty safe about Darvis, which is a, a feeling I did not feel heading into the 2020 season. I, I needed to see more. I needed to see him continue to what he did in the second half of 2019. And that's exactly what he did in 2020. The pitch that made him so successful in that breakout 2019 uh, was his cutter. And he continued to use it around 40% of the time in this shortened season. And his fastball velocity was up a little bit. Again, this is you, Darvish, that we're talking about. So I would actually rank him fourth. I would take him ahead of Trevor Bauer. No surprise there because I obviously have a very tumultuous past when it comes to Trevor Bauer. And, Scott, I'm just left trying to figure out how and why. Those... And, and I can't necessarily put my finger on it, which means I am not going to feel comfortable using a second round pick on Trevor Bauer. I understand the spin rates were up, but was there a reason for that outside of him just working with Driveline Baseball more? The guy is super smart. Why didn't he just do this in the past? Right? I, I just I can't really put my pulse on it.
1: Um, his fastball was just incredible this year, uh, but well, I I think if I'm spending a second round pick on bauer darvish nola or giolito any of the four Mm -hmm. like if, if i'm if i'm investing a second round pick in them i'm kind of committing to going sp heavy which i probably am going to do in a lot of leagues but i i don't think you can make that kind of investment in a pitcher with um with you know none of them make me comfortable enough to say okay I got my number 1 starting pitcher spot covered now. I don't need to draft another pitcher till round 6 or whatever. Like none of them give me that comfort level. Uh Bieber deGrom Cole might if I get them in my first if I get one of them in my first round with my first round pick. I'm not necessarily committing to not going SP heavy, but it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure to do so than if I went with one of these other guys in round 2. Because I I get what you're saying with Bauer. Like I uh might my assumption for him heading into 2020 is he got away from throwing his curveball. He put way more balls in the air as a result, which didn't play well in the juice ball environment. Certainly didn't play well going to Cincinnati, where his numbers took a turn for the worse. So he needed to throw more curveballs to get that fly ball rate down. Didn't happen. That's not how he succeeded. All his pitches were more effective. He had a higher spin rate on all of them. So, you know whatever he did to do that hopefully he continues to do it but the numbers are just unbelievable 11 starts 173 era 0. 0.8 whip 12.2 12.3 k per nine and obviously he was he's a guy who takes on a big workload uh, there's some thought that wherever he signs next year I I imagine it'll come up during negotiations that'll try to pitch every fourth day uh, instead of every fifth day, and if that happens, then he's going to have a huge workload advantage on top of everything else, assuming he can maintain the same level of effectiveness. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much upside here for Bauer coming off a year in which he revealed it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I feel I, like you I, have to rank him here. I don't want to sell him short either, because if people listened all season long, they're know they they going to think that, okay, Frank's just being a Bauer hater, and it's, it's not. It's just... I'm trying to figure out how he got to where he did, and and I I can't really figure it out, so I'm likely not going to use a second-round pick on Trevor Bauer. The other names that I would include in this range, mention them, Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola, and I think Nola is probably the, the one that I feel safest outside of you, Darvish. I don't... I don't know if I should feel that way or not, but for some reason, I just do. His underlying numbers were really, really good in this shortened season. He had a 2.79 XFIP, which was fourth best among qualified starting pitchers, and he he did some things to change up his arsenal. Again, this is Aaron Nola. Um, He used his change of a career high 27% of the time. Uh, That was never higher than 19.6% in the past, so... Talked about this in-season. The changeup and curveball were plus pitches for him and helped his fastball play up because it's not really a great pitch. Giolito, I still really like, and the whiffs and the strikeouts are fantastic, but for him, I just don't think that he really has a third reliable pitch. His slider is like okay. It's an average pitch, uh, and he still walks a lot of guys. So I would put him probably towards the bottom of this tier, but he deserves to be ranked in this range, Giolito and Aranoa.
1: Yeah, Giolito, the walks were kind of inconsistent this year. And of course, he had the no-hitter. Uh, he had some huge strikeout games. He, I mentioned earlier, he had the second-best swinging strike rate of any pitcher this year. Uh, but just a little inconsistent. I mean, Nola was too, but I think people will be surprised to see, looking back on it, that Nola had 12.1K per nine this year. And... You know, heading into his final three starts, that's that's where he kind of, like, early on he was looking like an easy number four in my starting pitcher rankings, but those last four starts took his ERA from 240 to 328, uh, just did not, just ended the season on a down note there, clearly, but, uh, you know, taking the the, all the stats for the full two months, he had the fourth best ex-fip of any pitcher. It was Shane Bieber, number one. It was Jacob deGrom, number two. I'll leave number three as a secret for now. But number four was Aaron Nola in, in X fip That's compared to you Darvish being fifth, and Trevor Bauer was only eighth. So, uh, yeah, I feel comfortable ranking Nola where I do actually ahead of Giolito. I have him fifth overall. And for Giolito, I will just point out,
0: you mentioned his big no-hitter which came against the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is obviously a great matchup. And he had a two-start stretch where he had 16 shutout innings against the Tigers and the Pirates with 26 strikeouts in that span. In his other 10 starts, he had a 4.49 ERA. So those two starts, really good matchups, accounted for a huge part of Giolito's season. And, you know, there was some inconsistency. Definitely some inconsistency with Aaron Nola as well. But I do think Nola at this point, is a little bit safer. Higher ground ball rate and less walks from Aaron Nola. Before we get to our next group, we already mentioned Halloween is nearly here, but we have a ton of other holidays coming up and ones that you need to look good for. It's time to head over to Express I really can't stress how unique Express is with a combination of comfort and style you've never experienced before. What we're offering you today is $25 off your next $50 purchase. All you have to do is text BASEBALL to 397-737. Again, text the word BASEBALL to 397-737. No matter what you're looking for, you can find over at Express. I've mentioned in recent weeks they have jackets and sweaters for the fall. They have everyday clothing items like jeans, v-necks, and crew neck shirts. I recently looked at their men's 1MX dress shirts, which are breathable, moisture-wicking, and stretchy. If you have a job where you need to wear a dress shirt, you realize how important comfort is. Not only that, you'll look sharp and feel confident as well. Remember, the offer we have for you today is $25 off your next $50 purchase at Express by texting BASEBALL to 397-737. Next up, you have... A group of oldies here, Scott, at eight and nine. You have Max Scherzer at eight, and you have Clayton Kershaw at nine. Scott, is it crazy that I just want to say I-, I will not be drafting Max Scherzer in 2021?
1: No, it's not crazy to say that. I think that's a better safe than sorry play, and I get it. I don't see I don't see a lot of reason to think he's actually on the decline here. Uh, In terms of stuff, he measured about the same as he always has. Um, So that includes, you know, K per nine rate was 12.3. The swinging strike rate was, sorry, I'm having to look this up on the fly. I don't have the number ready to go. Swinging strike rate was 14.7. That was down a little, but obviously 14.7, a really good swinging strike rate. And I think the velocity was about the same for Max Scherzer, too. So I don't see a lot of evidence of the decline. He had he had most some trouble finding the strike zone this year, uh, but I think I, I think it's one of those situations where if the season had played out in full, Max Scherzer probably would have leveled off as something more typical, uh, what we're used to seeing from him. And, and as it is, he finished with a 3.74 ERA, that great strikeout rate. The WHIP was kind of high because of the walks, and he had some bad Babbitt luck. It looks like to me. But I I still think Max Scherzer's good. Uh, As of right now, I mean, now he goes into next season, it'll be his age 37 season. Or maybe his age... He he turns 37 in July. So Mm -hmm. he's getting up there. Yeah. And and you worry about a health risk because of that. You know, he's had some kind of minor injuries over the past couple years. And uh, maybe those will become more frequent. Maybe he can't take on that big workload. But I kind of feel like also... This year especially, 2021, after a year where every pitcher's innings were limited. And of course, we've asked every guest about this. How do they expect teams to handle pitchers' innings next year? And like, a uh, uh, Max Scherzer is just going to get turned loose, right? Like that's, that's one guy, you know, he has to stay healthy, obviously. But you don't worry about a team restricting his workload the way you might for a younger guy.
0: I don't know if I'm overreacting to just 12 starts, obviously, here from Max Scherzer, but what if... You mentioned the volume that he'll give you, and he'll give you all these innings. What if those innings that he gives you are just not good ones? What, what if they are hurtful innings more than they are helpful ones? And maybe it was just a, a rough start to the season, and you know he would have leveled out as the season went on, but... The batting average and the BABIP have both been on the rise each of the past two seasons and seemed like they might be correlated with the two highest hard hit rates of his career, up over, I I believe it was like 33 and 35% each of the past two seasons. Walked more batters than he ever did uh, since 2010, his highest walks per nine. And according to StatCast, 4.21 XERA. So he gave up some hard contact this season as well. Getting older, I just man, like if both of these guys are on the board. Scherzer versus Kershaw. I think there's obvious risk in both of them, but I do think when Kershaw is on the field, I still think that he is much safer at this point. And I don't know if that's fair, Scott.
1: Yeah, that's weird. That's weird because certainly we were I I a couple of years ago I was much more worried about the the trajectory Clayton Kershaw was on than I am about Scherzer's. I,
0: I agree with that. By the way, it's just. What he did this past season really... I mean, it made me feel better, the fact that his fastball velocity was up and he also worked with driveline baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't think that his upside is massive anymore. You're not going to get 11, 12, 13 Ks per nine like we're talking about with some of these other pitches, pitchers. But
1: Kershaw, you're talking about.
0: For Kershaw. Because Scherzer, you might. Yeah, no. With Scherzer, you might. I think that they're... It's probably fair to say he has higher... Scherzer has higher upside but I also think a lower floor than Kershaw, so it depends what you're looking for at this point in the draft. But I, I do think
1: Kershaw is the safer of the yeah. two. I, I mean, maybe, I maybe I, I just I, I guess it depends on what what you value most from a pitcher, the the numbers you trust the most. I don't. I've, I've talked about it before. The reason I my XPIP is my go to for ERA estimator as opposed to xERA, which is Statcast's. Uh, metric for that is because I trust things like like strikeouts and walks and whiff rate. Not that XFIP directly measures whiff rate, but those are the kinds of things I trust more to demonstrate a pitcher's ability than, than how hard the contact is that he's giving up, uh, which is what XERA measures. And I feel like you'll see a lot more fluctuation with XERA than you will with XFIP. I'm sure there's been actual research done to show whether or not that's the case, but when I'm going case by case with high-end pitchers like this, that's what I see. Um, and, you know, the exit velocity for Scherzer, yeah, it was the highest of his career. It was, like, league average. It wasn't like we were seeing from, you know, Shane Bieber last year when everybody was freaked out about that. I think the fact he's throwing just as hard as usual, Scherzer, is his swinging strike rate down a little, but two months. You know, it's it's still a good swinging strike rate, and it was just two months. Uh And then the walks, I mean, that's something we've never seen before from him. That's not really something I associate with a decline. So I I think Scherzer's fine, but I could be wrong. We shall see. An
0: interesting off-season conversation regarding Max Scherzer. I have a feeling that he's going to be a pretty polarizing player in the 2021 season. We're going to take a quick break. Just want to remind everybody that the UEFA Champions League is back with every match streaming on CBS All Access. Messi, Neymar, Lewandowski... Icons of today, but the next generation is not far behind. Match day two of the group stage is here this week, and you don't want to miss the drama of the world's most prestigious tournament combined with the world-class coverage of CBS Sports. Go to cbs.com UCL to start your free trial today. The UEFA Champions League, there's nothing like it. All right, this next group that I have here, I've dubbed the Wild Card Crew. Why is that? Well... We'll find out after the break here on Fantasy
1: Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com businessgoldcard Business Gold Card.
0: The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The Wild Card Crew here on Fantasy Baseball today. No, that's not Scott and me. That's actually the next five starting pitchers that I wanted to mention on <laughs> in Scott's ranks here. And a lot of names, but buckle down, get ready. Luis Castillo at number 10. Kenta Maeda, number 11. Jack Flaherty. 12th, Walker Buehler, 13th, Zach Gallen at 14. And Scott, I mean, there's just like a lot of names in this group that I do. You're not really sure, or at least I'm not as of now. Got to do more research on these guys in the offseason. But what to expect heading into next season for various reasons. Kenta Maeda, this is the first time we've ever seen him be this good, and, and the Twins really seem to limit his pitch count. Jack Flaherty, do we just give him a pass for this year? What do the innings look like in 2021? Walker Buehler has these blister issues, but has now looked fantastic in the postseason. Zach Gallen, I actually pre- feel pretty safe about. Actually, I, I you know, I, I kind of trust him at this point. And Luis Castillo, I could say the same thing, but the walks. Are always kind of there and you know creep into the back of your mind here, Scott. So Luis Castillo, Kenta Maeda, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller, uh Zach Gallen. Did I rightfully dub this group the Wild Card Crew?
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, Zach Gallen, uh, I I think is a step behind the others for me, so I might lump him in with the with the next group of names because I had more. I wasn't exactly so Zach Gallon, where is he now? He's fourteenth in my rankings. I wasn't sure exactly who I wanted fourteenth. I went with Zach Gallon there. But Wait, the others, Louise, I Cascio. think it's a good
0: spot for him, by the way. Like I was oh. thinking about should he be higher? But I don't I don't think you could realistically put him any higher than this.
1: Well that that's that's where it gets to the issue of what kind of volume do you expect these guys to have. And there's no precedent, certainly not a recent precedent, uh that that really takes into account the way pitchers are used today to, to guide us on this. I'm, I'm just going on a hunch here how much I expect pitchers to be affected by uh, by by the the workload issues of this year and, and the fact that everybody's going to be making a big jump in innings next year and it, which who's going to be treated who's, who's going to be handled carefully because of that and who's going to be just turned loose and I suspect, I'm pretty confident Walker Bueller's going to be handled carefully because of that. Because when has Walker Bueller not been handled carefully, right? That's the reason he's 13th here for me and not 10th or even higher. And I, I'm not sure I even really want him at 13th. That's just as far as I could justify downgrading him based on that hunch, because obviously he's uber talented, but he let everybody down this year because the Dodgers were handling him carefully, even though, Uh, You know, the season was going to end at a point where he wasn't going to accumulate that many innings. They just didn't build him up as quickly as as most pitchers were built up. So that's why Walker Bueller's 13th and Jack Flaherty. He doesn't have the same history as Walker Bueller, but just because he's so young and because he's such a big part of the Cardinals future, I suspect they'll be pretty careful with him, too. So that made it pretty easy for me to rank Luis Castillo, in spite of his shortcomings. Yeah, he's he's a little rough around the edges still, but uh, I mean the skills are clearly there, and he's put together two really good seasons in a row. Even if he had us worried at times during the over the course of those two seasons. And uh, Quinta Maeda, that was the surprise for me, Quinta Maeda, uh, that I was willing to slot him as high as eleventh, but. I mean, I think, I think the concerns about him going beyond six innings are pretty. Heading into a season like we're heading into, I don't think they matter that much. And he was awesome in his first year with the Twins. He was he was third in XFIP. Remember, I skipped over the guy who was third. It went Shane Bieber, Jacob Degrom, Kenta Maeda, and then Aaron Nola, who I referred to being fourth, uh, and just. All the ways we thought Quinta Maeda was going to break break out joining the Dodgers, it was that and more. He was just amazing. A true ace by any way you want to measure it, except maybe how deep he pitches in the games. And I might argue that Luis
0: Castillo should be part of the Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito group. At least if you look at the underlying numbers of swinging strike rate and just The stuff, right? You watch Luis Castillo pitch. It feels like he should be part of that group. I think the one thing that holds him back is the walks and the fact that that has affected his whip in the past three seasons for Luis Castillo, a 1.22, 1.14, 1.23. Those are the whip the past three seasons, and that's really what's holding him back from becoming a true ace for fantasy purposes. But if he can get that down to closer to 1.10 with a low threes ERA and the 11 or 12 Ks per nine, then you're looking at, okay, potential top eight, top five starting pitcher season out of Luis Castillo. But um, he has yet to show that he can actually make that jump. Kenta Maeda, you know, some people might ask, Scott, how, how did we get here with Kenta Maeda? Kind of what I was trying to do with Trevor Bauer, like how was Kenta Maeda this good? Well, it's a little bit more explainable for Maeda. He had the best, command of his career, 1.35 walks per nine, only 10 walks in 66 and two thirds. He had a 21 and a half percent hard contact rate, which was the best among all qualified starting pitchers, a career best 49% ground ball rate. And he changed his arse- arsenal, he decreased his fastball usage about 12% and it was addition by subtraction for Maeda slider usage up, change up usage up and, and all of those things in conjunction with led to this breakout season for Maeda. I made yep. the argument against Bieber, I have to do the same thing for him. He did have a great schedule, however. The only teams he faced this year, Tigers, White Sox, Indians,
1: Brewers, and Pirates. It was a great schedule for Maeda, Scott. So, it was. But that, you know, the the what you noted with the change in pitch selection, that's that's something we've seen from a lot of pitchers, just the the simple Approach of throwing your best pitches more. And, you know, it's every pitcher tends to throw his fastball more than anything else. And the ones we've seen get away from that have typically had a lot of success right afterward. Uh, and so now Kintamaeda, his primary pitch became the slider this year, basically. And we saw big results. And in addition to being third in XFIP, Kintamaeda was third in swinging strike rate after. Jacob deGrom, and Lucas Giolito with a swinging strike rate that would have led the majors last year. Uh, yeah, last year, 2019. And I don't know how many
0: people feel confident that they know who Jack Flaherty is at this point, but I feel pretty confident that I can say he's going to be a low to mid three ERA, 1.10 whip, around 10 strikeouts per nine, and and that's a really good pitcher. Again, it just comes down to you know, what does the workload look like Uh, What are the innings in 2021? The first three seasons for Flaherty, it's been 151 in 2018, 196 and a third in 2019, and then, of course, just 40 and a third here in 2020. Weird COVID season for the Cardinals. You can't really hold it against them.
1: He he ended up with a 491 ERA and a 122 whip. He only made nine starts. Obviously, the Cardinals had that long layoff when they were sidelined by a COVID-19 outbreak. And so there were a couple... You know, And getting back into form, there were a couple of bad starts for Flaherty that inflated the numbers. But the underlying stats, swinging strike rate, uh, it, they, they all look good. He looked like the same pitcher he was in 2019. So I don't really have concerns about performance either. It's just the workload. And, Scott, I don't disagree with where you have Walker Bueller. You
0: have him down at 13, but I'm just letting you know right now that you will have no Walker Bueller in 2021.
1: And I am. It, it sounds like you are perfectly fine totally with that. totally comfortable with that, yeah.
0: Because his early ADP is 29.1, which is way ahead of Maeda, pretty easily ahead of Flaherty. It's, it's closer to the range of where Scherzer and it's actually ahead of Kershaw, too. So, uh, safe to say, you will not have much Walker Bueller. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that Zach Gallant should probably be closer to this next group, which I have dubbed boring but reliable. <laughs> So, okay. Zach Gallon joins a group of uh, Carlos Carrasco, Brandon Woodruff, and Lance Lynn, who you have at 15, 16, and 17, respectively, in your rankings. Uh, but real quick on Zach Gallen, would you be comfortable with him as your SP2 next season? Let's say in the, in the fourth round. Because I, I feel like that's probably where his ADP is going to settle in it.
1: Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That sounds fine to me. And I think that I think this is the right category for him, even though he has yet to have a full season in the majors. First, because he was called at midseason, and then uh, the the shortened season this year. No, I, I think we have a pretty good grasp of who he is, and it's a reliable pitcher, but he's, he's not going to be one of these huge bat missers. He 12.1% swinging strike rate. He was 18th among qualifiers in that. And there were only, when I say 18th, there are only 40 qualifiers. So he's basically middle of the pack among pitchers who got a lot of innings in terms of his ability to miss bats, but he has a nice varied arsenal <laughs> on most days. He's a good strike thrower that we see that come and go with him at times. And um, I don't know, Chris, Chris has compared him to Zach Greinke. I think that's underselling Zach Gallon's strikeout rate a little bit, but I, I get what he's saying there where it's, it's more, um, you know, it's it's less about pure ability than just being, just, just having really good approach to pitching. Just having a really good approach to pitching.
0: Yeah. It's like the sum of the parts for Zach Gallon. He probably yeah. lumps these guys together just because their initials are both ZG. I just realized. So I'm going to have to ask Chris about that if that went into his <laughs> analysis at all. Uh, but well, Zach's. Spell their names
1: differently, though.
0: Yeah, we talked about this before. Right? It's like uh, your brother spells his name differently.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how my brother spells his name right now because it changed at one point.
0: It uh, just keeps changing. Uh, For Gallon, the one thing that I will add is that he was awesome this year. 2.75 ERA, 1.11 whip, 82 strikeouts, and 72 innings pitched. But unlike Bieber and Maeda, he actually did it differently. He had a much... Tougher schedule, and he actually proved that he can handle himself against the Dodgers and the Astros, and going into Coors Field and pitching awesome there as well. So I actually, uh you know, I, I give Gallon a little bit more credit for that, and I, this is a good spot for him. But I'm, I think I'm probably well, going to have a lot of him. Next and part season. of
1: the reason I rank Gallon this high, in spite of him being a young guy who's still kind of breaking into the league and me worrying about everybody's workload next year, is because like. Since he got called up last year, they haven't, neither the Marlins nor the Diamondbacks have been that careful with his workload. He threw, he went seven innings four times this year. He went less than six innings uh, three times. Like that's, he, he was one of the most durable starters in, in all the majors. So I suspect, again, that you just have to go on a hunch with this. But I, my hunch is he'll be treated pretty normally next year. Zach Allen will. Um, and, and by the way, for these other three—Carlos Carrasco, Brandon Woodruff, Lance Lynn—that is the reason they're this high for me: is the the workload consideration. Uh, and I, and I'm not sure. I, I I'm not sure how I feel about Woodruff being part of that group, but my thinking there is, he's older. It, it, you know, he he's in his late twenties already. It feels like. He should be younger than that, but he's not. Uh, the Brewers really don't have that many rotation arms they can rely on. And I, I don't know. He's done it two years in a row now. And he's he's big, and he's built like a workhorse. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not totally comfortable with Woodruff in this range with Carrasco and Lynn, but I, I put him there. Really? Because he's maybe the one that I trust the most out of this group.
0: I just, and, and we spoke about this towards the end of the season, too, is that Woodruff has just been solid. Like He's not flashy by any means, but we were hoping for him to repeat what he did in 2019 in this shortened season, and that's exactly what he's done. So he has built up the confidence, uh, for me at least, and after a 3.62 ERA in 2019, comes back with a 3.05 ERA, XFIP, over 11 Ks per nine, 49% ground ball rate. Brandon Woodruff is rock solid, man. And just now kind of entering his prime age too. So I I think that there's a little bit
1: more risk involved with both Carrasco and Lynn. To clarify, I was referring to include, like these guys I'm elevating, I'm saying, because I trust them to have a big workload in a year when I'm not really sure where I can find that workload. And I'm saying maybe there's not enough evidence of that being the case for Woodruff. So it's less about how talented he is. Like, I would not have Carrasco, and especially Lynn. I would not have them. That, like, next on my list is Glasnow, uh, denelson Lammett. Oh, Actually, next next is Lamette, and then Glasnow. But Del- <laughs> Denelson-Lamette, I love. I love what he did statistically, but they're... Like, I can't count on him throwing more than 140, 150 innings next year. If that, I mean, we have to yeah. make sure that this
0: guy's arm is still attached by the start of next season because, of course, he dealt with a well, yeah, forearm elbow injury towards the end of 2020 and the reason why he couldn't pitch in the postseason. So, I mean, that's a huge, huge talking point for Denelson Lamette. We're going to pause here, and we are up to that risk-reward group, the 18 to 20 range of to Nelson Lamette, Tyler Glassnow, and Steven Strasburg. What do we do with Strasburg in 2021? That's an interesting name to talk about as well, but we will save that for part two, which we will deliver to you guys here on Thursday. For Scott White and Frank Sample, I want to thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Thursday. (laughs) Bye-bye.